quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. If you can consistently have a business plan that can be adaptable to where the market goes, gives you the best option to really have a path forward to really see the light at the end of the tunnel. In most cases, if we're looking moment to moment like anything, like personal, professional, it sets us up for a stage of day. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Jason Yarusi. Jason is joining us from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He is the managing member of Yerusi Holdings, a multifamily investment firm that repositions properties through operational efficiencies and extensive renovations. Jason's portfolio consists of 2,300 multifamily units. Jason, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Hey, Ash, I'm doing great, man. Excited to be here. Glad to have you. Best ever listeners, Jason is a repeat guest on our podcast. He's been here five previous times. If you Google Joe Fairless and Jason Yarusi, his episodes will pop up. Jason, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, sure. So great introduction. Welcome to be back here. So we started back in 2017 in strictly the multifamily space. Before that, we were in the single family space and in the construction world. I ran a niche construction business that lifted and moved homes. We did about 3,000 house elevations after Hurricane Sandy. It was a business my dad started. And prior to that, I had opened up some restaurants, opened up and sold a brewery and done a couple other entrepreneurial journeys from there. We moved into the multifamily space and really diving in 2015, 2016 to really learn the space. Transaction on our first 94 unit, which may have been one of the first things we talked about when I came on the podcast earlier on in 2017. And now we've acquired a little over 3,000 units to date. We're in mainly the Southeast, targeted around Nashville and Atlanta with the major acquisitions that we do. Nashville and Atlanta. Nashville is on fire. The headlines in Atlanta read that there's oversupply and there's way more coming on the market. What are your thoughts about those two contrasting markets? I would say Nashville, the same things happen. There's about 26,000 units in the pike in Nashville. And so the important thing that we focused on is that although I'm here in the Nashville MSA, I'm down in Murfreesboro. And so Nashville is the uh, Davidson County. And then you have Rutherford County, Williamson County, and those in Wilson County. And those are the counties that we really put our action and energy in. So a lot of the supporting markets. And so where a lot of the supply is coming strictly to certain areas within Nashville and with Atlanta, we're looking to fit in pockets here where we can still find very nice assets that get the benefits of being within the spectrum of a Nashville or of Atlanta without being right downtown in the heart of it where all that supply is coming on. Is the same thing true in Atlanta? You're more in the suburbs? Yeah, we're out in suburbs and we're in a couple different regions all the way out from Jonesboro to Decatur. I found that we've dealt better in the workforce housing areas because with the supply, the supply is usually not targeting those type of products. So you're seeing a lot of this. Now, where you can see some of the pushback is that if you do have a heavy supply of, of Class A new construction come on, there are some, and we're some in Nashville right now, offering four and five free months. 
So that starts to filter down into, we'll say, some of the B and C class assets because people try to step up because you can get into a unit for three, four, five months free. It starts to make your effective rate where you are with your B and C class asset trend down to really affect you as well. We've had a number of rate increases just today, 12, 13, 23. The Fed announced that they're going to stay put and indicated three quarter point rate cuts in 2024. Was this a surprise to you? I think the indication is a surprise. I think most everyone was expecting them just to stay put and to potentially have some kind of rate cut happen in the middle or later of next year. So that's very interesting. But if you look historically, it's all out the window, right? We had a massive rise faster than anything that's ever happened in history, but historically they've always dropped rates at a very fast pace. So noting that they're going to have these cuts come on, they must have some forward trajectory looking at that we're much closer to where we want to be than originally anticipated coming into the last few months. What was your forecast for 24? My forecast was be consistent because I think at this point, if I was forecasting out ideally in in the past, we would all be in trouble, right? Because no one saw this rate increase. No one did, right? But what we've constantly done is that my focus right now with in terms of what we've been doing, we've been putting a lot of bank debt on. So banks out there, you typically don't have the best terms. What we can get is a five-year term, maybe a year of interest only, and maybe it's a 25-year amortization but typically the prepayment penalty is not very prohibitive on the back end. So we've been doing that and really getting to projects that will have a five-year cycle on where it gives me the ability if rates stay the same or they elevate, if that's what was going to happen out there, then we would have a five-year fixed rate. But if rates start to drop, it's going to work in our favor that we could be more proactive to the market to potentially either sell or refinance into a different loan. So Looking forward, we've kind of carried on that approach because I've found that really trying to guess what the market's going to do is constantly going to get you in trouble. Yeah. In my opinion, one of the tools in the Fed's arsenal is market sentiment, where if the market anticipates all the pain's over, sky's the limit, the Dow's up 300 points today, I'm fearful of what that indication just did to the market. So all the money on the sidelines, I think, is going to come out with a vengeance and start getting redeployed. But we still have assets that are underwater. We still have pressures on rents nationwide. What are your anticipations in terms of finding deals now that people think the worst is over? Our whole thing is always, we'll get back to the road of consistency, is that our energy has been is that we're just going to keep nothing to see here, ho-hum, do our approach with trying to target a deal a quarter and just more the steps to do that. And that's led us to find opportunities when they exist here. What's been interesting lately is that some things that weren't making a lot of sense a few years ago, like loan assumptions have come up to make more sense today, right? So we purchased a property about two months ago where we were able to assume a loan and still had seven years left in the loan and the rate was 34 So it was really a nice product for us to walk in. We got in at a nice price point that really had met what we have in the market. So that was a nice opportunity to walk in for here. But finding deals, it's still this part is that you are right. There is pressure on rents, especially with this new supply coming on. And the way the economy is hitting is that certain areas are more highly affected and certain different types of demographic are more affected, right? If you look outside of it, we have just the rate of we'll say car loans today, the average rate is like someone's paying a thousand dollars for a car, right? And then they have to pay this elevated rent, right? Now groceries, everything else that gets in their pocket in a lot of hard ways. And so that's going to continue to put a lot of pressure 
on the renter. So evaluation is going to continue to come up. I don't think we're going to see this historic rent level increase that we saw for the last couple of years kind of trend with it. Are you able to pick up any distressed assets? It hasn't solely been our focus to say, let's wait for those distressed assets, but we have been opportunistic where we did have another acquisition in 2023 where there was a seller and that seller we learned through our network was having trouble with another project and he had some built-in equity into this project, right? So we were able to get this project at a discount because he was having trouble on another development project. So there are the opportunity to be out there and just really continue to push with your network to make sure you're in the right place because those will exist. Now, has it been our focus trying to catch distress? No, it's just trying to catch, we'll say, the deals that will meet our metrics that will just not be something of a massive problem from us out of the gate, but it'll be something that works right with the portfolio that we have. Everybody wants to try to identify the right markets to get into. Are you expanding outside of Nashville and Atlanta's MSAs? Atlanta's got some struggles beyond it with the evictions and some of the other things too. So our focus is really just here in middle Tennessee as a main driver. So if I had the choice, we won't do anything outside this market. So we don't go over to Knoxville. We don't go to Memphis. I don't go down to Chattanooga or Clarksville because there's so much to happen here. And when people are trying to target markets, really, you can really win in any market. There's someone in your market right now that's going to win. It's just like, what's the business plan and what's their approach to winning that market? So constantly looking for that new market sets you up with a stage here where it's difficult for you to get into that market because you now have to go figure out the lay of land. You have to figure out the type of product available. You have to figure out the right team. Who's the people you need to have on your side, right? So you have to do all these new learning curves where if you can really continue to dial in into your market, you can really continue to grow and create traction. So the answer is no, you're not looking at any other opportunities in different markets. No, that's the quicker to the answer is yeah. Our goal right now is we've been really proactive here locally. And I think that helps, especially when there's such flux in the market and so much disruption, it's better to be highly focused on where your target market is. Are you looking at alternative assets in your market? That's a good question. 90% of it is multifamily. The other 10% is we have office, self-storage and development. But that is all here in our backyard. And we did that as a proponent is that I grew up in the Northeast is that when we moved down here, coming from our background, we said we will be open to do more product outside of our target of multifamily. And we've done just that. Is your office asset owner occupied? Is that for your company? It is. Yeah. We have that one. We have another office space too. What are your thoughts on office? If you're in the cities, it's going to be rough. I know Biden put forward the proposal to be able to allow this conversion to happen with multifamily, and that's just such a long road. A lot of office is not easily converted over to multifamily. It's just not one thing that you can walk into and say, yes, this is going to be easy to transform. Also, there's so much pushback in communities that have office that don't want to have them converted to multifamily. So I think office has a long road ahead, especially in some of these cities here. It will find a use. You look at some of these mall spaces, like big Macy's that are being turned into pickleball courts. It is going to have a use out there. I'm not sure what that path forward is at this moment, but in this moment, I'm glad I'm not heavily on the office side. Are your office assets fully leased? Are they healthy? Fully leased and they're with drivers that fit well. So we have medical, right? We have engineering firms. We have a, you know another wellness firm, another one that's on the contractor side. So we have ones that have very good balance sheets, have been in business for a number of years, a very strong tenant base. And is that located in a walkable suburb? It is. 
walk one context, but I think the walkability is not something I'm used to New York City where walkable is like you, you get out and you, you can walk everywhere, right? So I don't think the driver is really walking as a walkability is the main driver for that. Yeah. So I'll share my thoughts is suburban downtowns that are walkable office space in those areas are on fire. We've got waiting lists for those buildings. Anyone that I know that has one, two, three story buildings in a downtown walkable suburb where you can walk to the nearest bars, restaurants, those are still highly in demand. It's those city centers and those giant office parks with the mid rise and the high rise that are suffering. What about retail? Nothing on the retail side. We had storage. We actually sold off our self-storage that had retail. And that, it was a small mix of retail, but in there we had a dog groomer for one. The other one there was a secondhand sewn shop. And it wasn't a, a main piece of the self-storage, but we constantly had them full and they were constantly paying rent. So they were finding their own way there. But retail is not our approach that I really drive on as well. All right. So you're not looking to pick up more? No. When I was owning bars and restaurants back in the day, I always saw the struggle looking at it from the retail side. It just seemed a heavier burden than I'd want to jump on there. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Well, Jason, how are you finding additional properties today? If we have 10 deals, 70% of them are still going to come from broker relationships, right? They're doing the digging work while we're doing the backing work. The other 30% are just going to come through our network. We've purchased properties by walking across the street from the property we had, and the owner was the manager there through property manager networks. We've actually brought large complexes through a mailing campaigns. So we've done a mix of them all, but today still the broker relationships is going to be the main driver. What is your advice to people that want to get into multifamily today after seeing a lot of heartache in the last couple of years? There's good times and bad times, but if you have a long forecast to have a fine product that has cash flow, you have reserves and you have a solid business plan and you have reserves, you'll have an outcome that's going to be in your favor if you can keep to your strategy. So just find your strategy, stick with it, stay focused on it, stay disciplined to it, keep on your agenda to get out there and you will be able to find properties that are going to meet what you want for your goals. What have you found with investor sentiment in the last several months? There should be sentiment out there. It should be difficult for them to make decisions. There's so much bad news, so much bad things coming out from left, right, forward, backwards, everything from the wars to the interest rates to the inflation, right? There's just so much bad noise out there. So it would make sense that investors are scared and worried. All the data that comes out, it puts a negative light and a negative light on what's happening out here. So for that, 
you want to give them the education to let them understand the investments we have so they can say whether or not that's going to be able to meet their investment thesis of what they want for their investing goals, right? So all we can do is educate them, give them the knowledge so they can make a good decision on whether or not we could be a good fit for them. And then they'll be empowered forward to want to invest or not. What are your methods for educating investors? It starts with what they want, because sometimes it's just not the right time and right fit for them. If they just have a certain amount that is set aside and that's what they have for reserves, it's not going to be the right fit. If they want something that's going to be a, a very short-term or transactional field, our typical investments are anywhere between five and seven years. So it's not going to be the right fit. If they're looking that they want to be very active, we're looking for passive investors. We want to make sure we can locate and fit within their strategy of their investment options. So if they're looking to pick up something outside of their core investing, maybe they're very heavy in stocks and bonds, but they're looking to get some allocation from real estate, but they don't want the activity to have to go there and do that day in, day out. We give them the option with multifamily to invest as a passive investor and get cash flow, get depreciation, get depreciation tax benefits, and, and just diversify across their portfolio. So we really just want to present the feedback and present the knowledge for them so they can make an educated choice to whether or not this would be a good fit. What kind of pain has all of these rate increases caused for you and your group? We've had fixed rate with everything. And we had one floating rate bridge that had a cap that we were basically in the cap since almost we brought it. So luckily on the forecast, we've been able to not have much adjustment from our side. However, we'll have a couple of projects that will come up in 2024 that we'll have to look at as a refinance. So we're continuing to just check out where the market's moving. How come you didn't follow the playbook where you do a three-year interest-only loan and your cash flow is much higher like everybody else? We did have two two-year fixed bridge, but they were fixed out there. They weren't floating. So those were the, the two we had out there. Beyond that, we were just really in a run route where we were getting the deals and just doing a lot of bank relationships. We had some good bank lenders here that we've been working with proactively that unfortunately, some of them are not lending currently, or I'd still be going that route. But we hadn't been really heavy on anything floating. Even if you look at the backdrop, right, like where I guess the, the playbook made sense is that if you look historically on a rolling five or 10 year average, if you were taking a floating rate versus a fixed rate, typically with the interest rate that would be priced into the fixed rate over the course of those years, you, you usually make out in the positive by taking a floating rate, even with the risk allocation. However, which just happened with this rate increase, you, you couldn't forecast that. But I just had always positioned myself where you know, fixed known is a much easier conversation for me on a path forward than having a floating rate that keys me into a level of unpredictability. Is your company dispositioning any assets right now? No, we sold a couple storage units earlier on this year. We have nothing right now that is going to be actively available that we'd want to move. We don't need to. And I think the waiting game, right? Because with the pain everybody's faced right now, the waiting game is going to be in our favor. Because if we do want to sell anything right now, they're going to have the same hurdles as we would on the buying side from them trying to acquire and put on new debt. Pretty much since 2017, we've sold 14 of them with the remainder of the ones we've sold were early 2023. Second quarter of 23 is when we sold the storage. That was the last ones we've sold. What's your typical number of years that you hold a property? Our timeline is usually five to seven years, although of the ones we've sold, we've sold between month 13 and 48. 
So if we get ahead of the business plan or the market's in our favor, along with where we're at, the numbers we will definitely look at what the market would align with and see if that meets expectations and then exit. The headlines don't stop about foreclosures and multifamily. I think today there was another 100 plus unit property in Texas that got foreclosed on. What are your thoughts on the effect on the industry, the LPs loss of capital? What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, not fun. I wish it was a better circumstance ahead. And on that part, ideally, I'm sure there's more that will happen out there. And hopefully there won't be too many more to follow. But when you start seeing things on a rampant nature, like banks failing, and just on that part, it just sheds the light. Now, hopefully with where we're at here and rates starting to subside and maybe potentially get this decrease, hopefully the overall wave of turmoil that, that could potentially be here will level off. Ideally, you know what it is, is that there's ups and downs in all of life. So if we're constantly riding on the moment, right, that's where we can get caught into rough patches here. But if you can consistently have a business plan that can be adaptable to where the market goes, it gives you the best option to really have a path forward to really see the light at the end of the tunnel. In most cases, if we're looking moment to moment like anything in life, personal, professional, it sets us up for a stage of failure. But if you can really set a stage with a good plan, a good system, and a good team in place, it helps to set you up for when things don't go perfect. Because I don't know anybody that has everything go perfect. Yeah, good advice. I'm shocked that the Fed's cutting rates. That's mind-boggling. I'm shocked they would say it or create the indication. What they say in chess, the threat of the move is more dangerous than the move itself. Because on that part, now, now that it's out there... The energy behind it, right? We've already had so much energy just with them doing nothing. And what do you think is going to happen now with, with where they just say or give the indication that the rates are going to decrease at this level in 2024? Yeah, you're a young guy. You probably were not around when Greenspan was raising rates during the tech bubble. But every time he raised rates, the market took a sigh of relief and the okay, good, we're done now. And stocks would shoot up. So again, that's one of their tools that they can use is controlling market sentiment. And now they just indicated, okay, we're done. Let's go party time. So man, I'm shocked if they had issued guidance saying, we'll keep an eye on inflation and jobs and GDP, maybe the market would be a little bit more skeptical, but yeah, this blows me away, man. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'll go back. I'm gonna watch the recording because I definitely want to see how it all came across. Because sometimes when they throw out the headlines, they may be more bullish or, or bearish compared to what actually was said there. So I'd, I'd be really interested to see how it actually was relayed. <laughs> That's a great point. All of this just transpired, so we just had a quick opportunity to read a headline and skim through a report on those financial news sites, which are often optimistic. So you're right. Let's cut through the headlines and actually listen to the recording and see what really happened. <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah, I point. Love it. Uh, I love it. Awesome, brother. Listen, thank you again. You've been a phenomenal returning guest. We love having you on here. And great job with all of your success. So congratulations. Thanks for having me back best ever listeners. Thank you as well for joining us. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.
Hi, Best Ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.